Here we are on the precipice of Lent this week. We will celebrate Ash Wednesday, and so we are at the end of our sermon series on Jesus's grandmothers. And I admit I'm a little jealous that I am not, in fact, preaching on one of Jesus's grandmothers. You will notice that today the um, the subject of our sermon is Mary, the mother of Jesus. But um, with hope, I persevered into uh, the story of Mary, and I believe that she sheds light on Jesus's grandmothers. Um, and in turn, Jesus's grandmothers tell us who God is and how God might be in our own lives. So we are turning to uh, this little story in the Gospel of Luke. It doesn't happen anywhere else in the Gospels. Um, And it's not that typical story of um, Mary, the mother of Jesus, and her nativity that we hear at Christmas time. It's not the Easter story or the crucifixion story where she stands at the foot of the cross and watches her son uh, become a victim of Um, of violence. It is instead right in the middle of uh, the story of Jesus's life where he is, in fact, a 12-year-old boy. Um, And so it just gives us this uh, easy to enter into um, picture of Mary, the mother of Jesus, um, and evokes uh, so much about uh, what it means to search and find Jesus um, in this world. So, the Gospel of Luke. Now, every year, Jesus' parents went to Jerusalem for the festival of Passover. And when he was 12 years old, they went up as usual for the festival. When the festival was ended and they started to return, the boy Jesus stayed behind in Jerusalem, but his parents were unaware of this. Assuming that he was in the group of travelers, they went a day's journey, and then they started looking for him among relatives and friends. When they did not find him, they returned to Jerusalem to search for him. After three days, they found him in the temple, sitting among the teachers, listening to them and asking questions. All who were All who heard Jesus were amazed at his understanding and his answers. And when Jesus' parents saw him, they were astonished. And his mother said to him, Child, why have you treated us like this? Your father and I have been anxiously looking for you. And he said, Why were you searching for me? Did you not know that I must be in my father's house? But they did not understand what he said to them. Then he went down with them and came to Nazareth and was obedient to them, and his mother treasured all these things in her heart. And Jesus increased in wisdom and in years and in divine and human favor. Please pray with me. Holy God, may the words of my mouth and the meditations of all of our hearts be holy and acceptable to you, our rock and our redeemer. Amen. This story takes very little translation. A parent's panic and fear over their 12-year-old son being lost for 
three days needs no clarification. And you hear the resurrection story right there in the middle of it, peeking out from this little narrative, right? Three days lost and then found. The parental panic remains, nonetheless. Maybe a cell phone or an Apple watch would have helped Jesus' mom, but it wouldn't have solved that parental problem that Mary faces. Child, why have you treated us like this? She asks Jesus. And maybe you hear your own voice in that question or your mother's voice. Why have you treated us like this? And the, like, like the sassy preteen boy that he is, Jesus responds, Duh, Mom. You should have known I would be here. You can feel the eye roll and the sarcastic tone and the exaggerated sigh from a millennia or two of distance. Wanting your mother to be a mind reader is more perennial than expected, and apparently the Son of God is not exempt from this kind of boundary-pushing, independence-seeking, impulsive, risk-taking behavior typical of your second-semester seventh grader. No doubt his mom's rebuke in the public circle of wise scholars would have felt embarrassing, even for the Messiah. And yet it is just this act of reprimand and scolding that tells us so much about Mary, the mother of Jesus, who is the fifth and final woman in Jesus' genealogy in the Gospel of Matthew. And notice this picture here and the dropped halo on Jesus in this absurd, hilarious rendition of Jesus being reprimanded by his mother. We do not get one of Jesus's grandmothers today, but somehow the grandmothers still point us in the right direction. Jesus's grandmothers in their own day each had to take bold action outside the regular bounds of patriarchal expectations, enabling God's purposes to be fulfilled, their own unusual circumstances preparing us for the extraordinary experience that Mary will endure. Remember that Mary was barely older than Jesus is now when she gave birth to him, maybe 12, 13, 14 years old, and so maybe she only has a partial vision of what it means to be a teenager in the first place. Mary's own teenage risk-taking behavior, in fact, was more bold than just staying behind in Jerusalem for a few days and talking back to his mother. Mary, at a young age, did this more radical thing of saying yes to the mystery and unfathomable uncertainty of bearing a child before marriage, let alone bearing a child that was not her future husband's. Maybe Mary was just as impulsive and reckless and rash as her son who stays back in Jerusalem because it makes you wonder where was her mother in all of this? Her father, why don't they come looking for her when she says yes to bearing God, the incarnate one, into the world? 
Where is Mary's mother's blessing or rebuke? The gospel is silent on all of this. We don't follow the lineage of Jesus' maternal grandmothers. Instead, we hear only from those paternal grandmothers of Jesus. And so we understand that Jesus is adopted into this long line of grandmothers and grandfathers who lead the way for him. Each of them, Tamar, Rahab, Ruth, Bathsheba, act with self-determination and personal sovereignty, independent of men, only to be known as fierce and resilient and empowered and courageous enough to enable God's purposes. And thus, by getting to know Jesus' paternal grandmothers, we get to know Mary. We get to understand his story and hers. Mary, too, is fierce and resilient and independent, empowered and courageous. Through her, God's purposes are enabled. You hear about it in that song she sings in the beginning of the Gospel of Luke, her song of justice, wave after wave of God's mercy flows from her. Through Mary, tyrants are knocked off their high horses and victims are pulled up and out of the mud. Through her, the starving poor sit down at a banquet while the callous rich have their dinner invitations lost in the mail. She is bursting with good news, with God news. She is dancing the song of God. She magnifies the Lord, but only because she says yes when the rest of the world wants her to say no, and when the customs and mores would suggest that she is defying convention, subverting expectations, bucking tradition, rebelling, and going against the grain. There's a kind of poetry to this genealogy. I wouldn't have thought so before. I would have just skipped right over it with the rest of Christendom, this list of begats. He begat him who begat him who begat him and his brothers. But the rhythm of genealogy is disrupted by these grandmothers. This poem that tells Jesus' story with an economy of words, the rhythm of his biological bloodline is broken and punctured and punctuated by women who disrupt and displace the predictable pace and pulse of patriarchy, placing atypical, unexpected, surprising women at the center of the story. There's other women that could have been here as the grandmothers named in the genealogy. We don't hear from Sarah or Hagar, Rebecca or Leah or Rachel, but instead, Jesus' grandmothers named here are those women who are in the most danger, who act most outside the patriarchal line, those beyond the social norms of their day, who disrupt the orderly administration of power and privilege and thus become symbols of scandal. Our abuela Tamar, or as Squire called her, Granny Rahab, and maybe Nana Ruth, and how would we call her? Bubby Bathsheba, maybe? Is that the right one? We, these women, these grandmothers, amplify this message that we're about to hear in the Gospel of Matthew, that God sides with the poor and the oppressed, with the outcast, with the endangered one, with the woman and the child. 
a sermon series on Jesus's grandmother, and yet Mary is no grandmother herself. She instead is theotokos, this beautiful word in Greek that means bearer of God, theotokos. She is Hagia Maria, Saint Mary. She is Our Lady of Tenderness, or she who shows the way. She is the throne of wisdom, or think of this one, Mater Dolorosa, the Mother of Sorrows. Hers is a much more direct lineage to Jesus, the only one whose DNA courses through his veins. And from that long walk to Bethlehem, to her place at the foot of the cross, she is a woman of deepest joy and most weighty sorrow. She's not a grandmother to Jesus, but Mary propels us backward towards those grandmothers, all the while allowing their stories to be amplified in this family tree and showing us again that Mary is right there in this most holy pedigree for a reason. I wouldn't have thought this genealogy was a poem. I wouldn't have known. It's all too invisible. But Wallace Stevens, the poet, says that poets are priests of the invisible. The poet is the priest of the invisible. It is the very hiddenness of these stories tucked right there in those first words of the Gospel of Matthew deep within the wells and aquifers of our spiritual ancestry that allow the poetic to emerge. Edgar Lee Masters puts it just one octave higher. He says, a poem comes out of the vibrations of the soul. What was Matthew trying to have us hear? The vibrations of the soul. The grandmothers of Jesus offer a kind of divine reverberation through which we can sense this turning of the spirit in their lives and our own. The grandmothers of Jesus break the rhythm of his ancestry, admitting that, yes, he is part of this long line from Abraham to David to the Babylonian exile and back again, but that there in the midst of these more normative stories is the poetry of an even more unexpected and impossible redemption. And so for us, in the depth of our own impossibilities, whatever they may be, there is and must be a way through. If the genealogy of Jesus is a poem, it is because the grandmothers of Jesus break that rhythm of his ancestry and point us to the place where heartache and impossibility lead to divine blessing. But only because of the brave and bold decisions of grandmothers who, in perilous situations, act to advance the kingdom of God. Poet Naomi Shihab Nye knows such a grandmother. She was born in St. Louis, Missouri, lived in Ferguson, in fact. But her father was a Palestinian refugee. Her mother, an American of German and Swiss descent, And Nye spent her adolescence both in Jerusalem and in San Antonio, Texas, where she ended up being raised. She writes a poem about her grandmother, her grandmother whose hands follow her when she is sick, 
caring for her, uh, cooling her head like prayers. Her grandmother, whose days are made of bread. Her grandmother, who stands at the oven by the window where she sees the cars pass by. Maybe that car holds her son, who she lost to America. Her grandmother, whose voice knew the message we carry that might get lost along the journey. Her grandmother, who listened between the lines for the stories. Her grandmother in Palestine, in this poem, asks us, too, to live between the words. These are the words of her grandmother in this poem. Answer if you hear the words under the words. Otherwise, it is just a world with a lot of rough edges, difficult to get through, and our pockets full of stones. The grandmothers of Jesus, too, and his own mother live in a world of rough edges, a world that is difficult to get through. But somehow, with eyes wide open to the poetry of his genealogy, we can hear the words under the words and become participants in this kind of reverberation of God's presence, seen in renewal and rebirth, restoration and recovery, reversal and redemption. Poet Audre Lorde says that poetry lays the foundation for a future of change. Poetry is a bridge across our fears of what has never been before. Jesus' genealogy points us there to a future of change in which the God-bearers, the unconventional, irregular, disruptive ancestors, point to our own interruptions, our own disruptions, our own redeeming work, brave and bold, so that we too might ourselves become God-bearers in this rough edges kind of world. Amen.